Hello and welcome to Get In, We're Going Healing and welcome to Self-Improvement Sundays. Today, we are going to be talking about relationships and trauma and how they affect your relationships. Don't forget, we are available on all major podcast platforms, as well as our video feed is available on YouTube. You can also find us on Instagram at Get In, We're Going Healing and follow all the updates posted and all the pictures posted and all the different inspirational memes. We also have a Facebook page called Get In, We're Going Healing, where you can follow the Facebook updates as well. That'll also share the same content as Instagram, just in case you don't have it. If you have any questions and any ideas for future shows, don't forget, you can send me a message at getinwe'regoinghealing at gmail.com. So without further ado, my guest today is Emily Griffin. Yay! Welcome, Emily. Thanks, Tova. So let me pull up your introduction because I totally forgot to have it ready. And now... (laughs) And now I have to make sure I have it ready to say it all properly. All right. So now my guest is Emily Griffin. She is a wife and stay-at-home mom of her two free-range children. I have one of those too. Um, Let me just double check. Free-range children at her urban homestead. She specializes in women's health and wellness. She has been a doula for six years and is a vaginal steam therapist. Ooh, we'll talk about that. That's interesting. Studied anthropology at the University of Windsor and teaches an empowering style of yoga. In her spare time, she is an outdoor enthusiast and builds choppers with her husband. Ooh, you do some stuff. Try to. I uh, do a lot of what seems like contradictory stuff, you know, (laughs) they go hand in hand in our family though. So it works out well. I can see that. I can see that. I, uh, I do some contradictory stuff as well. I got my hand in a lot of different pots. (laughs) (laughs) All in the same kitchen though. So it works. Right. Right. You know, they all sort of kind of connect to each other in a roundabout circuitous way. Absolutely. (laughs) So We were just talking on our own time about some of the stuff we've encountered in relationships, and we decided this is a good time to start our interview about relationships and what happens with our unresolved traumas. We've talked in our past about, uh, in episode three, I believe, we talked about generational curses and generational traumas and how that affects from your own childhood and the way that your parents parented you and how that leaves marks on you into your adulthood and when you don't address them they start coming up back into your life well that's not true of only you it's true of your partner as well oh absolutely I think it's funny the healthier relation the relationship you're in it seems like the more your triggers or traumas like to resurface right because now you're with a person that not only triggers your traumas but also makes you want to do better and maybe start addressing and healing them Mm -hmm. But then it's a fine line between figuring out, okay, which is a trauma from a past relationship, whether that be from growing up as a child with your parents, or maybe a past relationship that you had with a lover in the past. And then now you have to differentiate between, am I triggered by them? Or is it something that's actually happening in my relationship now? Mm, That's a good point. I have encountered that myself a few times in meditation and went, oh, that's not from this one. (laughs) Oh man, we need to have a conversation about this now, 
<laughs> Honey, I'm sorry. <laughs> that, that, I, I just posted on Facebook the other day, or last night, actually, I had this realization. I've decided my ego self is now to be called Rochelle. I did see that. Yes, that's a great name. I've decided that's when, when she starts popping up and telling me stories and saying, oh, he did this and he did that. Hold on, Rochelle. I hear you. Okay. I hear you, girl. I hear you. Maybe we need to settle down a little bit and ask, is this really what my partner is doing? Or is this what happened in the past? And I'm being triggered and now reflecting that on my current relationship. Sounds like she has a little bit of sass there. Oh, Rochelle is, uh, (laughs) I called her Tina back in the uh, (laughs) postpartum days. But she feels more like a Rochelle to me, a little bit more sassy. Tina seems a little more relaxed, maybe a little angry, but a little relaxed. Rochelle seems like, girl, (laughs) girl, you better get on him for what he said to you. You better, oh no, don't you let that slide. You better get on him for that. (laughs) She doesn't put up with anything. And I got to be Rochelle, Rochelle, calm down. We don't need to be so upset. It's okay. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, and it's funny you mentioned that maybe your uh, your ego self was Tina in postpartum because that also brings a whole new set of challenges and again brings up a whole new set of traumas, which we had mentioned before about how having children seems to be the biggest trigger for trauma. And you don't really realize it until you're like, okay, I have just had enough of everything today. But my kid hasn't really done anything like Mm -hmm. sure it hasn't been the best morning it hasn't been perfect but it's like why am I at a 10 or 11 when the day stuff is maybe only at like a three or four. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting that uh, we can be so easily triggered just by lack of sleep when we're hungry lack of sleep is a big one when you've got kids. (laughs) Yep. Oh yeah. An extra five minutes just seems to make a world of a difference, you know, mm-hmm. when your alarm set for like, mine is set for 715. My child is usually up by 630 with the time change. Thankfully it's around seven now, but it was before at 530 and that was just not happening. And Oof. the mornings were rough. Ooh, that's tough. Does your kid sleep at least a reasonable amount? He does. He gets about a 12 hour, um, sleep window. So yeah, he, um, thankfully we have him in a school where, um, their theories on teaching and education align with being outside as much as possible, getting as much activity as possible, not being stuck at a desk all the time. So he runs almost all day long and then he comes home and we play with him outside, go skateboarding and things like that. Um, pretty much up until it's supper time, then after that we start cooling down. So yes, we can get a nice chunk of sleep in there from about seven, seven thirty um, until about seven the next morning. So, wow. Yeah. I, I gotta say I'm a little jealous. <laughs> well, don't be too jealous because we do have a two month old right now and her sleep time is definitely not a 12 hour window. <laughs> My little one does not sleep. He's never no. been a, he's never been a sleeper started from the beginning. Never really been. I think Ryan Reynolds made a comment once that they thought their child was trying to save them from the sleep monsters. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's my kid. It's like, right. he's allergic to sleep. His bedtime is about, it's supposed to be eight 30, but now it's eight 30 is when we go read stories. It's about right. nine 30 by the time I get out. Sometimes it's about 10 
1030, he'll still wander out. Mom, I need a hug. Why are you still awake? Can you please go to bed? (laughs) And then he's up at like 630. Right. Where I'm like, child, you're not even getting like, you're maybe getting eight hours. Like you really need to be getting more sleep than that. But maybe he's apparently one of those kids. (laughs) Yeah. He has very efficient sleep cycles. He's like, I can get this down in as little time as possible. (laughs) Whereas mom needs like a good solid eight in order to be not grumpy. Functioning. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And then otherwise I'm like, okay, listen, no, no, it's no mom is too tired. It's please go somewhere. Well, and then that translates into um, your relationship with your husband too, right? Like it definitely does for me and I'm sure for a lot of people, but um, we were getting to the point where our little guy is turning five uh, this month and then we had a newborn in January. So now we're starting the whole thing over again and we're also a blended family. So this is my husband's first time going through um, like the infant stages but it's crazy. No matter how good your relationship is before you have another baby, it just puts all kind of stress and you have to relearn everything about each other. And yeah, it's a trip. It puts a lot of stress. I will say my marriage was tested intensely when my son arrived very, very intensely. We had just gotten married and got and conceived on our wedding night. So we spent our first year of marriage dealing with pregnancy and and the the fun challenges of the hormones (laughs) and the difficulties. And uh, this is not my first marriage, but it is my husband's first marriage. Right. So there was a lot of dragging of old ideas from my first Mm -hmm. marriage into my second. And then his ideas of what he thought marriage should be versus what it was. And like, that's, I mean, conditioning is a big part of it too. Our societal conditioning of what we expect a marriage to look like or what we society tells us we should act like when we're in a marriage versus what actually happens. Mm -hmm. Well, and two, it's different for each couple, right? We're conditioned by what our parents' relationship looked like, or if our parents weren't together, right? Whatever that looked like as we were growing up is what we perceive as normal, whether or not that was healthy um, by anyone else's standards, that's our normal. Um, And my relationship with my husband from the outside looks like an extremely traditional, almost 1950s style, you know, um, relationship where I'm a stay-at-home mom, take care of the kids, do the stuff around the house, you know, I enjoy, you know, knowing when he comes home from work that I have made a nice meal that my son has helped make, or, you know, maybe he's just playing around the kitchen while I was doing it, but I get a feeling of gratitude and love. I guess that's one of my love languages is being able to do those acts of love for someone else and knowing that they're taken care of. And he goes and he brings home, you know, the bacon or the paycheck right now. Um, so it looks very traditional from the outside, but on the inside of our relationship, you get a whole different view, right? Um, where we build the choppers together, we go, we're both registered firearms, um, owners. So we go to the firing range and we'll shoot together and stuff like that. And he'll come to my yoga classes when I teach them. So, 
it's a whole different perspective, but this is what works for us. Um, it just looks extremely traditional from the outside. Mm-hmm. I know I, uh, I struggled with that myself. Mm-hmm. I come from a very non-traditional home where my mother was the main breadwinner and my mm. father was the stay-at-home parent. But because of their own conditioning and their own traumas, that led to a lot of call it self-esteem issues for my father being the stay-at-home parent. And, you know, nowadays I know several stay-at-home fathers where the mothers go to work and the fathers stay at home. Um, But I don't think that my father felt satisfied in that or felt value in that because it was so looked down upon for his generation. I think he just, he wasn't that present father and taking care of understanding that his job was to maintain the home and to care for the children the way that a stay-at-home mother would be. So Mm. I had these ideas of women don't need to be the stay-at-home We're you know, we're empowered. We can go out Mm -hmm. and, you know, but my, my partner is a, an Italian so uh, very traditional, very traditional, of, yeah. very yeah. traditional of the man works, the woman stays home and there's woman's work and man's work. And that has been right. a, a difficult area for us mm-hmm. because I automatically go, well, just because I'm a woman doesn't mean that I should be the person responsible for all right. of these things. And that has been a challenging area. I automatically found housework to be demeaning in a way, very much a trigger. Yeah. And it created a lot of conflict because I did work as well. When I was a massage therapist, I did go to work and I was working like 25 to 30 hours a week outside Mm -hmm. of the home while he was working 46 hours outside the home. But I was still also the main parent and the main homekeeper and responsible for most of the stuff. Yeah. Not only are you doing all of the yes, housework and child rearing, you're also working on top of that, that's a lot. It was very hard. And it was, there was a lot of resentment that was built from that. And the more that I tried to share my vision of an, an equal home where everybody does a job, not because it's mm-hmm. someone's a designated job, no. but because it needs to be done. Just Absolutely. Laundry has to get done. People need clothes to wear. It doesn't matter who does the laundry so long as the laundry gets done. Oh, for sure but that was not how it was viewed. So that was a a big trigger for me and set off a lot of various traumas, a lot of resentment, a lot of anger, a lot of, you know, just mindsets. Mm -hmm. And then the pandemic took away working. The option. Yes. To have that almost independence, right? Exactly. No, I find that I place a lot of my value on um, not being a stay at home mom, but having that financial, um, aspect, you know, that contribution to the family. And that's probably been one of my biggest traumas that I've had to deal with and work with, um, in past relationships. Um, I don't know how much we're going to get into here, but in past (laughs) relationships, I have had, um, emotional and financial, um, I don't like using the word abuses, but dependence, Um, not even dependence, but where I wasn't in control of any of the finances, you know, you have to ask for this, you have to ask Mm. for that and try and figure things out. Um, so from that relationship forward, I have a very difficult time accepting money from a partner because I feel like it's going to be held over my head. So I always like to have access to my own finances 
So I don't have to worry about that. Right. Mm-hmm. And like you said, with the, the pandemic, it's taken away that option for a lot of people. Now you have to be home with your kids. If you're in certain service industries, you can't be out there making money and not everyone can translate their work into a work from home platform. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been one of my biggest traumas I've been dealing with in this relationship because I am the stay at home mom now, which that's a role I do love. But then when you purchase things outside of the necessities, like groceries and bills and like, okay, the kids need clothes and stuff like that. Even though those are technically necessities, when you add them in, I struggle putting the money towards those things. So that's been interesting dealing um, with that with my partner. And he's actually on the opposite spectrum where, well, I guess maybe a little bit in line where he has a really good paying job. So he's always been more of the financial supporter and he's had past partners that have taken advantage of that. So we, when we come to meet in the middle, it's interesting to have those conversations and work together. Um, I don't even remember where I was going with this, but (laughs) no, I totally, I honestly, I feel that like, I feel that in my soul, I have the Mm -hmm. same issue. I've had um, in my own childhood, my mother was incredibly controlling of finances. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't actually get access to my bank account that I shared for a long time with my siblings till I started working independently as a teenager and was required mm-hmm. to have a separate bank account. I didn't get access to my bank account until I moved out at the age of 20 and was, you know, and given my bank card. Um, I didn't know how to balance a budget. I didn't know how to balance finances. That was not taught to me. It was done for me right? rather than taught how to do that. Right. So then I went into my first marriage very quickly and still did not have those skills, did not know how to balance money and struggled with employment. And then my, my first partner controlled the finances, same thing. So mm-hmm. then having to ask for money, it was very challenging. And of course I didn't, I did abuse money because I didn't know, I didn't understand the value of money because I was never taught budgeting or never taught any of any of that stuff. So it was all very confusing for me. Um, And I have gotten myself into a few pickles due to that. (laughs) Oh, who doesn't Um, love a good pickle now? (laughs) uh, You know, the the sourness of it can kind of ruin things. So, I mean, I've had issues with that. And I mean, I have to say, fortunately, I, as I've been working through my trauma, I've been able to recognize where those limitations are and start to improve and set goals and boundaries for myself and saying, no, you can't just spend money because you want to, you have to actually be responsible with it, right. you know, and it's been a challenge. And I, I'm, I know I'm not alone in that. I know several people right now who are struggling with being unemployed and having their partner support them mm-hmm. and the the feelings of dependence, I'd have to say that kind of goes along with that, where you're financially dependent on someone else, rather than having that independence of, well, I make money. If I want to spend money on something a little extravagant, it's my money versus I can't, I can't accept or ask my partner for that because it's it's, not technically my money. Yes. But then I guess on the same hand, um, it is your money, right? Like you have come together as one union and that's where I'm working on transitioning my mindset, right? Because we don't have a joint bank account yet. And that's just because we haven't been able to physically get into a bank and take care of it. It has nothing to do with my money's over here and your money's over there. It's just, we haven't been able to actually make it happen yet. Um, 
but yeah, transitioning from that mindset that you're building something together um, is difficult because I also deal with like the abandonment issues too, right? I was so just going to say that there's, play. there's trust issues that play yeah. into that as well. And like underlying trauma related to trust. Absolutely. And it's hard because you have these issues and I'm at the point in my relationship where I know that none of these issues stem from my relationship with my husband. They all stem from past relationships. So I'm getting tired of going to my partner and being like, look, like, this is what I'm dealing with right now. It has nothing to do with you. You're amazing. You're doing a great job, but I just, for some reason, can't get past these abandonment issues, these financial issues and things like that. Right. Um, thankfully he is amazing at anything I bring to him. He's like, I understand where you're coming from and I can recognize when things, things are happening now too. So he's good at sitting down with me and being like, look, I know when you have a purchase or like, cause of course millions of Amazon boxes are just appearing <laughs> on the door right now. Right? He's magically like, showing up at your house. <laughs> just magically showing up. It's Christmas <laughs> every day here, <laughs> but it's anything like any necessities, right. And stuff like that too. But I do what I'm doing now where I'm like, well, we needed it. And it's like, it was on sale. It was a really great price. And I and you had feel you need to justify here. it. Yeah, that's exactly it. I feel the need to justify absolutely every single purchase that I make. And he's like, look, he's like, I trust you. He's like, are the bills paid? I'm like, yeah. He's like, do we have a roof over our head? Yeah. Do we have food on the table? He's like, I'm like, yeah. So don't worry about it. He's like everything, like you take care of the budget and stuff like that. Everything that we need to have taken care of is taken care of. And if you want to get something or if the kids need something or that, he's like, go ahead. It doesn't matter. But how do you then transition from it, knowing it's okay to eventually like working through those traumas is just like a little bit by bit, right? Yeah. Every right. single one right. Amazon package. Now settle down, Rochelle. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you you need to okay. calm down. Yeah. <laughs> no, I totally hear you. I have had, um, it's definitely it's definitely trust issues mm. for me. It's trusting that my needs will be met without right. someone else having to meet them without having to say that my needs to be needs need to be met. Right. It's, it's a delicate balance. I find in relationships, it's really a struggle of, especially if you're, you've had trust issues before, if you've got, um, you know, independence issues, a, a lot of us who are very independent people generally are so mm. because of the traumas, Absolutely. because we don't want to be left relying on someone else to meet our needs, which right. we shouldn't, if we're being honest, we shouldn't, we should, our needs should be met by ourselves. Our emotional needs, things like that should be met by ourselves with our partners supporting playing a supporting role in that rather than right. being the star of the show. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, it's trusting that your partner will be there for you and will not judge you and will not make you feel bad because you need something or because you're asking for something, but it's still that humility mm -hmm. that needs to happen when we say, I need this thing. It's a hard balance. It is. Well, it's, yeah, you want to be able to have that independence and know you can take care of things on your own but you also don't want to be living one foot out the door at all times either. Right. So you're absolutely right. Finding that balance where you're building that foundation and future together without being like, okay, but if 
I have to go. Or if he goes like, we're fine. Cause I was already half prepared for that. Right. Right. I found myself doing exactly that pretty often, constantly thinking like, and I've, I am embarrassed to admit that I have handed my rings back on mm-hmm. several occasions because unresolved trauma going yep. on in here telling, because I've left a marriage before. Right. I've, and it was the right decision, mm-hmm. but it's that mindset of, I can leave again if I need to. Right. I've done it before. I've been on my own before. I can manage it just fine if I had to. I don't need this. And then trying to tell myself if things go south, I can just walk mm-hmm. rather than taking the time to resolve issues and right. find to come to understandings in that uh, commodity based mindset that we right. tend to have of we could just throw it away if it doesn't work that you know i i really struggled with that of constantly feeling one foot at the door saying it's okay you know what i've got finances i've got stuff in preparation if i have to leave mm-hmm. i'm I, i'll be okay i can I, i'll be able to support myself and with the pandemic being here and not being able to financially support myself there is definitely that underlying trauma that's coming up and being like but what if you had to leave? Mm. How would you support yourself? And then reminding myself, okay, Rochelle, (laughs) settle down. We ain't going anywhere. Okay. We are here. We are committed. We are staying. We need to settle down. We're not running. We're not leaving. We don't have to have our finances separate to prepare for if we had to leave because we are in a stable situation. Well, and I feel like um, with you bringing the pandemic up, it has changed a lot of people's situations and really forced, um, I know myself in particular to take a look at those traumas, right? Like now you're in a situation where you're right. You are essentially stuck at home, stuck with this person that you chose to be your partner, stuck with your kids. And now you can't walk away. You can't run away and escape from it. Right. Even if you want to, the housing market and the renters market just isn't possible to even make that move. If you had separate finances, right. Mm-hmm. So I too left, um, a, not a marriage. It was an engagement, but I had my son with this person. So for me, the relationship wasn't terrible. At the, obviously it wasn't terrible at the beginning or else you don't really stick around. Right. Typically you don't stick around. Right. Um, but once I got pregnant, things changed when I wasn't able to fall in line and continue to do all of those hobbies that, um, this person loved and things like that. And then by the time my son turned one, I just realized we had extremely different priorities. And for me having a child, um, when you're doing the self-work and looking at things, I had to sit back and be like, is this the normal that I want my child to be raised in? Mm -hmm. You know, is it, going to do more harm than good to stay in this situation and then just have this be a normal relationship Mm -hmm. or would it be better to do it by myself and eventually like thankfully eventually find a partner that supports the same ideals and priorities as me and raise him like that but no it was the same thing and then I have one time handed my ring back in this relationship because it's it feels like it's the only control you have, right? Like for me in that instance, it's like, this is the only control I have. Like we're not getting anywhere. Like you're just too emotional and you don't have time to take a breath and think about what's going on. Right. But it felt like the only control I had. And I absolutely regret doing that. And Mm -hmm. 
Um, hopefully we'll never do that again, but when it feels like your only control and you're like, I've already done it once I have left and I have gotten through it on my own. It's like, sometimes that difficult decision feels easier than having to sit down with what's actually going on and work through it. Right. Yes. If I can run away with it, I don't actually have to fix it. I don't have right. to see what's going on in my head and figure out, okay, it's not actually all this guy's fault. Like it's not what he's doing. That's bothering me. Like, what is it? I don't want to face. Right. 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 I, (laughs) I'm telling you, you are preaching to the choir right now. (laughs) Thankfully I have a, a really good friend that recommended at the time that I was going through this, this would have been pre pandemic when a lot of the stuff was going on. We were just, we hadn't found our footing yet. We hadn't right. found our footing in a relationship. We, I mean, we both came from very, very different types of families with our own levels of trauma and our own unresolved stuff that we, neither of us had actually dealt with. And we just mm-hmm. kind of kept shoving it down and pushing it away. And it would come up and we just push it down a little harder, <laughs> like shoving down the garbage a little harder yeah. before someone takes it out, you know, just shoving it down say, well, it's okay. I won't deal with it now, but yeah. it would pop back up and neither of us knew how to cope with any of it. So I I, thankfully, I find the universe sends you the messages you need right in the moment when you need it. If you're paying attention, if you're willing to listen, yep. The universe (laughs) will send you the help that you need right when you need it. I ended up with a friend that recommended a book called Crucial Conversations. Hmm. And it's designed for different relationships, like work relationships, as well as like, uh, like child, adult, you know, interpersonal relationships. Um, And the whole premise of it is to essentially be able to step back and find common ground. And they, they talked about in there that when you can see the other person is going to silence or violence is what they call it. So either shutting down or the signs of anger of like, could just see they're just really, you know, (laughs) they can't hear you in either silence or violence, they cannot hear you because they're so involved in their emotional state. They can't hear what you have to say. So the book recommended that you pause, set the conversation aside for a moment Mm because you're not going to get anywhere with it anyway in the state they're in, put it aside. And instead focus on helping them get back to their calm state so they can hear you. And it also, it was funny because there were so many synchronicities that I was catching at the same moment because that book recommended essentially acknowledging feelings. You're acknowledging the person's feelings. So they did one of the examples they gave was like a coworker. Mm -hmm. So um, let's say I want to, I don't remember the names, but let's say Paul and Marie. So you've got Paul and Marie work together and they were working on a project together and they hand in the project to do their, their presentation. And during the presentation, Paul takes most of the, the discussion and shares most of their ideas while Marie says nothing. And Marie right. essentially gets treated as if she's not part of it. That it was all Paul's ideas. So Marie then feels angry with Paul because she thinks Paul was, you know, she, the story starts, right. right? That ego story starts where she starts saying, well, but he, he must want all the attention for himself. He's hoping to get a promotion and, da, 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 and telling this story. He did this on purpose. He did this, this on purpose. Yeah. So then it recommends that Marie stop, pause, and then ask herself, is that really what happened? Is, and maybe go talk to Paul, not in an accusatory way, but to say, 
So you talked a lot in that presentation <laughs> and give Paul a chance to say, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to, you know, to take over everything. I just kind of ran on a thing and, you know, or whatever he was going to say without automatically telling yourself that story. It introduced mm -hmm. the idea of villain victim stories, yes, which I found very useful because at that time I was doing a lot of villain victim stories in my head. Yep, where I was making, right, yeah. where you make yourself, you are the person who's everything's happening to, mm -hmm. and everyone else is doing it to you. So now everything that that person does makes them a villain. Yeah, They are purposely trying to hurt you. They are purposely going out of their way to do stuff. They are purposely doing this. And you are just the hapless victim who has no control over what's going on. Right. And you're just receiving all this stuff, which was the perfect information I needed at that time. Cause the universe was like, so <laughs> guess who's making themselves a victim and making your partner into the villain. Right. Maybe the reason you're handing the rings back are because you're not focused. You're focusing on he's the bad guy and you're the, the, vil the victim in the story. You're the hero and you have to overcome the bad guy, mm -hmm. and, you know, and do what you need to do to, to beat the bad guy. And that was my mindset was going into just listing all of these reasons why he was the bad guy and he, I was the victim. Right. And it was that now I will not say that that book solved everything because it took another couple of years before all that data actually ingrained. Of course. But I mean, that also took into therapy where my therapist said, okay, so the reason that you're going into this is because you have a wounded part that is taking over the storyline because it has been triggered. And now we need to address that wounded part and find that, that part of yourself that feels like it's being victimized mm -hmm. and find out what's behind that so that we can right. put that away and be, and be over it. And recognize it and say to your ego self, all right, I see you. I see you, Rochelle. I see you. It's okay. I, see you. I acknowledge you. I know you're feeling a lot of stuff, but right. He's not the dragon we need to slay. We need to right. work together. Yeah, exactly. And it was synchronistic because at the same time, I was also reading how to raise your spirited child and how to talk ah. to little kids will listen. And in both of those, the big thing is telling your, to acknowledge your child's feelings mm -hmm. to, you know, instead of seeing your child as trying to get your goat because <laughs> they're just being, you know, my kid's just an a-hole today. And I've said that I have mm -hmm. shot my kid, the finger behind his back on many occasions. I mean, who <laughs> you know, like it's, you just get to the point of, I'm just done. Like, it feels like you're intentionally trying to upset me. Right. But then you're like, they're just a kid, right? right? Even regardless of how intelligent and smart your child is, they're still just a child. Right. And you're right. It is so difficult to come back and acknowledge one, they're a child Two, They have a lot of really big emotions that they don't know how to deal with. Mm -hmm. And three, they look to you on how to deal with those big emotions. So when I'm having those big emotions, what am I showing them to do with them? Right. Right. It was, uh, it was definitely an eye opener reading the book oh, and yeah. like, and just learning to, again, in crucial conversations in the children's books, it's all the emphasis on acknowledge the other person's feelings. And then there, there was a section in there saying, but why does it have to be me? <laughs> why can't they acknowledge me? <laughs> and the writer says, because you're the one reading the book. Yep. You're well, the one who's learning the tools. Right. And the big thing is leading by example. 
right? A lot of people, you know, bringing it back to um, partner relationships, a lot of people are like, well, why doesn't my partner set a date for us? Why doesn't my partner ask me how my day is going? Why doesn't my partner do this, that, and the other thing? It's like, okay, but are you doing those things? Like mm-hmm. when you want to have a date with your partner, have you gone and set a date, got a babysitter and went and, you know, did something really special? Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny. Yesterday, I bought my husband flowers for the first time because he sent me a meme um, like a week ago saying that the first time men receive flowers is typically at their funeral when they've passed. Like not very often do they receive these things throughout their life and why don't they deserve them? Mm-hmm. So um, I thought it was really, it just really, like you said, it flips a script. It gives you a different perspective. Like, okay, these are the things I'm doing. These are the things I'm expecting. And yeah, why does it have to be me? Well, because you might be the starting point and it might inspire your partner to do those things without having to sit down and be like, well, why won't you change? Mm-hmm. Like, You don't need to at that point, right? Um, like I'm lucky enough to be in a relationship where he never asks me to change, but I definitely want to be my best self and my best partner for him and our family. So mm-hmm. I think- that is why sometimes it has to be you, right? I, um, it makes me think of this song that I've, I found. I'm a, a fan of just Spotify random. Yes. So I found lots of great music that I never would have been exposed to because it's not on the radio. Right. Or maybe it is, but I don't listen to the radio. <laughs> you know, because I have a six-year-old, so yes. I don't tend to listen to the radio. And, uh, you know, and as a massage therapist, you don't listen to the radio. You listen to like your relaxation, chill music, and you spend (laughs) a chunk of your day listening to that. And you're like, oh, there's radio. (laughs) I don't hear to listen to dance music while massaging someone, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) You know, (laughs) I feel like you could make it work. (laughs) I'm sure I did see a video once of somebody that was listening to real fast music. It was like, massage here, massage here. Like, I don't know how relaxing that would be, (laughs) but, um, it it said in the the song, one of the songs I've found is by, I'm not even sure how to pronounce it. Love, love, L-A-U-V. I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but the song is, I like me better when I'm with you. Mm. And it was, I'm not even sure if all the lyrics match, but it was at a time where my relationship was not so lovely. Right. And it was a thing of mind. I do like myself better when I'm with my partner. Mm-hmm. I do want to be a better person for him and for my son. I heal because not because they've asked me to, but because I want to be a better partner. I want to be a better mother. I want to be a better human. Right. So I do the healing work because it does inspire others around you. Like you said, by being an example, Mm -hmm. I found the more that I heal myself, the more my partner heals as well. I don't know if it's, it's not active the way that I'm doing it. It's not like the reading of the books and doing all the, all the stuff I'm doing and like the therapy and all the stuff I've done to grow, but by setting down the example, it definitely affects how he behaves and how he responds and then we found little by little, I mean, it's, it's only been a year and I can tell you the person I was a year ago is vastly different than the human being I am now. My, my healing journey was there, but it, it really kicked into high gear like last summer and then just spread through mm-hmm. shadow self deeply into shadow self 
through most of July, through most of August, I can go back and check my journal entries and be like, oh, oh yeah, I forgot that happened. Oh, I forgot that happened because there were some big, big blowups, big, big blowups as my wounds started coming to the surface so that I could heal them, but they were now on the surface. So now I'm reacting to those right. things because they're now very close to the surface instead of buried way down deep at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And I try to forget them. They're all coming up again. So as they come up, I'm having to face them and heal them. But as I've been doing that, I've noticed, so has my partner, not again, not actively the way that I'm doing it, but just because I'm doing it is allowing him to see his stuff and start work through his stuff. Right. Well, I think you mentioned so many good things there. Um, but the difference between reacting to something and responding to something is huge. And I also think by, yeah, doing the work and not forcing your partner to, but like you can have conversations. Like I read a really great book and these are some things I picked up, but by setting that field in your home of working on things, by setting that energy kind of around you, it just invites like energy there. And it creates a a safer space, I think, where your partner can start looking at their traumas or triggers or whatever it is they're going through um, and not be worried about having a reaction to it or being judged by it, right? Mm-hmm. I've, uh, I've definitely seen a lot of growth in both of us. We are finally, finally at what I thought that we could eventually become. But after a while, I started Mm -hmm. to think, well, we'll never, we'll never get there because we both had so much of our trauma. I was like, I don't know if we'll ever be there. And that's in that stage of one foot out the door where I felt like we were never going to achieve that. So maybe it's best to just cut my losses and walk away and come to that understanding Mm -hmm. of in order for him to change, I have to change. I have to change the way that I look at it rather than, stay in my spot and say, I expect everyone else around me to change for me to change Mm -hmm. from where I am and my perspective and look at it from a different point of view and say, well, you know what? Maybe he's not the issue. Maybe I'm the issue. Maybe if I work on my things, it'll change. And surprisingly enough, it does. (laughs) Lo and behold, (laughs) lo and behold, the magic and wonder of it. When I did the the course, how to change your, or how to, how to deal with your emotionally unattached partner. Uh, Mm -hmm. Was it emotionally? Oh, I can't remember exactly what it was called, but the idea was um, the unemotional part. Cause I always considered that my spouse was unemotional or emotionally unavailable. I assumed that he was emotionally unavailable because his spectrum of emotions was pretty narrow, or at least how mm-hmm. I viewed it. Um, and of course, because the you know we've got ma- uh, toxic masculinity, and of course that's a, right. a thing, particularly with the the older, you know, I don't want to call him old, but you know, <laughs> you know, you know. You know, slightly older from different, you know, as we talked about in generational curses about like, you know, those that were raised by baby boomers, there's so much toxic masculinity that was being taught. So Mm. I was of the impression that my partner was very toxic masculine. Right. And the funny thing is, as you do this course on uh, dealing with your emotionally unavailable partner, it says in every single lesson. So it's not about changing your partner. 
it's about changing you. If your partner is emotionally unavailable, <laughs> you're not going to change them. You're, there's nothing, no magic wand. You can right. bippity boppity boo and make Wave. them suddenly, <laughs> you know, make them suddenly like, open. Why and- did I buy this book? <laughs> But the whole thing was about, okay, so you need to unlock you, unlock your Mm -hmm. expectations, unlock the idea of what you think a relationship should look like and ask yourself, why is this such a problem for me? And look deeper into yourself as to what it is that the expectations you are holding and why you can't accept your partner for the way they are and expect them to be something different than who they are. And would you like it if your partner wanted you to be different instead of accepting you for who you are in the state that you are in your unhealed, traumatic filled states, (laughs) don't you want them to love you the way that you are? Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously accept you as you grow, but love you with your flaws and not expect you to be perfect. And then extend that to your partner as well. Love them as they are. Don't expect them to be perfect. Love them from where they are right now. Mm-hmm. Hope that they will heal and grow, but love them as they are right now. Well, and it's funny how that just completely changes everything coming from a place of love and meeting whoever, where they are. It's funny how it does exactly what you were hoping for once you've resigned yourself to that never happening. Right. You're like, finally, once I accept them, then they magically become the person that I had hoped that they would be with me. Right. And it's not that they necessarily changed a hundred percent. Sure. Maybe they've done some improvement, but I think it also allows you to see those good things in them. Once you get away from that victim villain mindset, once you get away from they're the one that everything's wrong with and you take yourself, you know, off that pedestal a little bit and you come down to the same level, it really changes things. And the toxic masculinity thing is just a whole nother thing in and of itself, but it does play um, a huge role in any relationship really, but marriages, especially because yeah, that boomer mindset is um, so detrimental to relationships, right? Like, um, you had the very stereotypical, you know, household where yes, the woman stayed home and the man brought home the money and then layered into that, like you brought up before you had those, you know, kind of blue collar jobs and those pink collar jobs where it was the man did one thing and the woman did the other. Um, but Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot, there's a lot to unpack in there. (laughs) So much. I mean, I'm so grateful that the attitudes are changing and that people are sort of, you know, that we are starting to become more of an idea that we are a household, not Mm, one person is responsible for one set of duties and the other person is responsible for the other set of duties, but we work as a unit. Well, that's it, right? You have a home together. You have a family together. Like you're not investing in this to make my life easier. You're investing in it to make all our lives better, like Mm -hmm. yours included. Right. And that's with the boomer mentality around marriage. A lot of it has been programmed into us that, you know, oh, I'm so lucky I got away from the wife tonight. And like, oh, I had to do this. And like, it's just where it seems like 
they don't even like spending time with their husband or wife. Like there are so many, and on the female side of things too, oh, my husband did this and I don't know why he can't do this. And, you know, he's babysitting the kids tonight. It's like, we really need to get out of that mindset. Like he's fathering and parenting your children, you know, like I love spending time with my husband do I want him not to ever see his friends or go have fun? Absolutely not. Cause that's a, the different end of the spectrum where that's also not healthy, mm-hmm. but I enjoy doing things with my husband. I can't wait till he gets home from work to hear how his day was and to relax on the couch and throw on, we've been into house lately. Cause you know, I love I not watch all the <laughs> but um, it's so concerning when you hear so many people, especially around our age talk about how they don't enjoy spending time with their significant other or they're not attracted to them or like you mentioned um before we started recording about how um the idea of withholding sex from your partner because that's a power card you can play Mm -hmm. and things like that it's just you know when do they get to a point where you're just one person versus the other like Mm -hmm at a certain point in your relationship, you guys clearly loved each other. You guys clearly had the same or similar goals and were working towards something. At what point do you just stop? Well, I guess maybe that's it. At what point do you just stop working on yourself because now you've settled and you don't have to impress another person? Maybe like mm-hmm. that work's not supposed to stop. I mean, I find a lot of it is um, media. There's a, mm. I, I've noticed I, I've, can't watch a lot of sitcoms anymore because they they tend to stick with the similar old concepts of either the woman is bitchy and she's always Mm -hmm. bitching about her husband and complaining and like always like oh I can't believe he did this and he's nagging and then the husband is like trying to get away from her or trying to just get away from and get out with the guys and try to you know and she's well you can't do this and I won't allow this and allowing in a relationship and I just find I when I watch them they just feel so toxic like they just they teach such unhelpful ideas of relationships and of course for most people that kind of is the model you work off of I I don't know about anyone else but I know in my childhood my parents were not a very healthy relationship and I didn't know what a healthy relationship looked like and because I didn't have a, a model at home to use the media was my model like that was how I, what is a relationship supposed to look like? Well, the media says, right. this is what it's supposed to look like. So I guess that's what it's supposed to look like yeah. without having anything positive to share about, you know, working as a unit, working together. So I find a lot of people, it is intergenerational, but it is also media. Like mm-hmm. think back to um, everybody loves Raymond, right? If you yes. remember that show. Absolutely. Where, that was one that popped into my head as know, well. All she ever does is complain. Nothing Ray does is mm-hmm. ever good enough. All she ever does is complain, complain, complain. And then he just tries to run away and get away from her. But you've also got on the flip side where you've got some of the other ones where it's just the man is everything and the wife is just a nag and just run away from her mm-hmm. and get away. And like, oh, I can't believe my wife did this today. And she said, I couldn't do that. And, you know, like, right. I remember my friend said the same thing when they got married saying, why do we have to meet those ideals why can't we just be two people who are in a relationship together why does once you get married when people say how does it feel to be married and I used to comment 
the same as it felt not being married, right? <laughs> was there supposed to be some switch that happened? But oh, it yeah, is because- the old ball and chain, right? Right. Like- you know, and I always found that so insulting and I know my husband did too. And like that, even in books, pregnancy books that I've, I was trying to yep. find a book for him on, on pregnancy and child rearing. And I bought him a book that I thought was before I was really keyed in to all this stuff. Yep. I bought him a book that I thought was kind of tongue in cheek and kind of silly, but it was like the dad's survival guide to raising kids. And he was insulted by it. And I couldn't right. understand why he was so insulted. Cause I'm like, well, there's not that many books. Mm-hmm. available for dads that are marketed right. to dads. And I thought this was kind of cute. He goes, the thing is they talk to you like you're a meathead. Like you're oh, like some, yep. you know, unintelligent Neanderthal type guy who has no idea that you're raising a human. And like, they, they talk down to you. How do you not find this insulting? And I was like, I, I don't understand. Cause I didn't, right. I didn't, I, I, wasn't really aware that that existed for men because mm-hmm. I was so focused on the woman's side. Right. Yeah. Your perspective, what you're going through throughout the pregnancy. Yeah. It's almost like you don't have time to be like, okay, well let's process what you're dealing with. But it's right. funny you bring that up because, um, my husband was extremely involved in every part of the pregnancy with our daughter and the birth. We ended up birthing at home and he, caught her and did the umbilical cord and everything. And he would talk to guys. He'd go to like his job site and talk to guys and then be like, that's so disgusting. And like, how could you ever look at your wife again? And just because the idea of like, it's not sexy, right? Right. There's nothing, if there's nothing sexy about giving birth, like there's nothing sexy about breastfeeding. There's nothing sexy about being a mother and stuff like that. It's like, But, um, my husband, he's like, that's the epitome of being a woman. Like they're, you know, and sure that might offend some people and stuff like that, but this is our perspective and our relationship that for him, like that is the epitome of being a woman and a mother and a partner in our situation. Right. So that was, it had nothing to do with whether or not it was to be sexy, but he is parenting these children and he is going to be there every step of the way. And for some reason, that's just not okay with some people, right? Mm -hmm. Like being at the, you know, bottom half of the bed during labor and stuff like that, and not being able to look at your wife the same way. Right. Or as they get older and they're a little bit less dependent on mom, if you're breastfeeding, um, or that, you know, them now becoming babysitters for these children, Mm -hmm. as opposed to, yeah, you're right. I could understand you know, your husband breaking that down for you. Yeah. Being talked to like they're meatheads and programmed, like it, it's a secondary role. It's not as important and things like that. Yeah. That would absolutely be, um, be insulting, but like you said, the media portrays all of this in a very specific way, Mm -hmm. you know, um, boomers for lack of a better term, they had a very specific, way that things were done as well. There was a time in hospitals where men weren't allowed in the delivery room, Mm -hmm. you know, whoever great idea that was, (sighs) but you know, it really has made it, um, more difficult to come together and work on these things because now you're both healing from these, uh, very strict gender roles. And, you know, 
it's all one household. It's all one family. Like the roles are able to change. Like, yes, my husband brings home the paycheck, but when he gets done from work and he gets in, you know, has that five or 10 minutes to decompress, like I'll hand him the baby, like little man's crawling all over him, wants to hear about what's going on and stuff like that. There's no um, break. There's no switch. Like you're first and foremost, a dad and a partner Mm -hmm. and, you know, he fulfills the provider role, but yeah, it is, it's frustrating when it's a disposable relationship and it's really marketed, um, a certain way, like to work through those things and to even recognize them. Right. Right. So ingrained in us, it creates so much trauma in relationships too, because you've got like, if you're, if you haven't broken out of that yet, you've got the woman expecting that the man is going to fulfill these specific roles. And if he's not meeting those roles, like with the case of my father, where my father wasn't working, that left him a lot of self-esteem issues because he had this idealized role that a man's job is to go out and bring home the money. And that by him not working made him less of a man. When in fact, he's just a human. He's just a human being. He's just a human being in a situation where yeah. he was he was sick and couldn't work and had to be on disability, but he couldn't see the value that he could bring to the home because his sole focus was on, I'm, I've been taught that if I don't bring home the money, I'm less of a man. And then the, there was jokes right. about my mom wore the pants. And you've got those jokes about if the woman is the one that goes out into the workforce and the man stays home, that she wears the pants in the relationship, which is also a demeaning statement to both parties to oh. both the, the wife and the husband oh absolutely like yeah because now your mother is losing her femininity and probably her sexiness you know associated with that and then your father too right like and i had similar stories with my parents my mom had a more traditional job my dad ran his own business so he was able to be home with the kids and things like that and there were eventually four of us so there was a lot going on but yeah, it's this, it was a similar thing, right? There is so much value placed on whether or not a man can bring home the money and support the family. And then if it gets to a point in that relationship where now the woman is making more money than the man, even if they're both working full-time, that causes a different kind of rift or trauma that now needs to be dealt with. But um, on the who wears the pants in the relationship thing, I came across a meme the other day where someone had asked a couple, you know, who wears the pants in the relationship? It's like, well, we actually prefer it when nobody's wearing pants in the relationship. You know, that's (laughs) that is definitely more fun in that direction. Definitely more fun. And I mean, (laughs) who cares? Really? Who who cares? You know, it's, it's not even that important of a thing in the end. I know, um, what was I going to say about that? Um, you were saying something about, um, oh, right. When the, the woman makes more money, even as recent as just a couple years ago, there was an episode I remember of Big Bang Theory, which I love Big Bang Theory. I love the nerd yeah. stuff. I love the science stuff. I love all <laughs> that sort of stuff. Um, and it was after um, Leonard and Penny got married, I believe. And Penny was making more money working as a, a pharmaceutical technician or a pharmaceutical right. sales rep than Leonard was making as a, as a scientist. And there were jokes galore about Penny making more money and now her being the, the one that wears the pants in the relationship. And I mean, that, that only was just a couple of years ago. It wasn't that long that that was brought up. And I remember no. even in the episode thinking, how insulting. 
like Leonard's whole identity now, I mean, if we want to get into the, the trauma base of all those characters, there's a whole new, <laughs> new sub level when you oh, get yeah. into Leonard's <laughs> level of trauma and stuff that he needs to deal with and whatever. But his insecurity really came up in that episode about because Penny was now all of a sudden making more money, he couldn't see it as, yeah, my wife makes more money. That means more money for the household. It was right. more of, well, now I feel insecure because my wife makes more money. And that's all that stupid, toxic masculinity about now I, as the man, I have to make more money than my wife in order to feel masculine. How silly of an idea that is that you are less of your gender because the other person makes more money. It is. It's very, it's ridiculous. Um, yeah. And then now we also have in today's society where our relationship looks um, very traditional right now in the way that we have it set up. And that's also not okay. It's also not okay for you to fulfill your stereotypical gender roles. If you like, if we put it that way, um, because then, oh, well, then I'm a subservient person then. And I have no value because I'm a stay at home mom and things like that. And it's like, I'm staying at home and taking care of, we have chickens, we do the canning and the gardening and stuff like that. So that's our little urban homestead. And we have an extremely rambunctious hunting dog. Um, (laughs) But somehow me wanting to and choosing to fulfill this role is also not okay. And then, yeah, my husband going and being the breadwinner and supporting us financially and stuff like that is somehow not okay. So the easiest thing for us, um, and easy is I'm using loosely is to, you're right, really cut out that media influence and not worry about how anyone else raises their family. Like if you're not hurting anybody, if you guys are doing the best you can, if you have found, um, a system that works for you guys, and then who cares what anyone else thinks, right? Like, right. I, uh, something you said, uh, just a minute ago about, um, hold on, I lost it. Darn brain is not always keeping up with me. <laughs> that mom brain. <laughs> that mom brain's a real thing. Um, what you're saying about um, the gender role. Oh, right. About uh, people viewing it that way. Mm-hmm. I ended up uh, a few years ago, I read this book called The Surrendered Wife. Now, it, it wasn't for me. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I all power to the women that want to live the life of being the subservient woman and letting the man be right. the head of the household and that sort of stuff. That's It's not for me. But reading it gave me a lot of insight because I'd never, I never experienced that type of relationship. I've never been in that type of relationship. I didn't have that modeled for me and I didn't really understand it. So reading Mm -hmm. it gave me a little more insight into the idea that it's not just, oh, well, you're lesser than or whatever, that these women are making the decision of, I'm going to let my husband handle these things while Mm -hmm. I handle these things. Now, when I did that and I shared, I shared a meme on Facebook, it ended up causing a different friend to a few actually who sent messages to me saying, are you okay? Are you in an abusive relationship? Do you need to get out? And I'm like, because I shared a meme about surrendered wives, why would you think that I'm in an abusive relationship? Because I share a meme about your husband being the head of the household or anything in any way, shape or form about that. Mm -hmm. Why should that be something that you feel that automatically I'm being abused? And there was a a response of, well, that's not how women are. And I, I actually ended up unfriending this person and got really upset because I'm like, listen, feminism does not look like 
women going out into the workforce and that's that's all there is in saying well i i shirk my my traditional duties feminism is the ability to choose yeah the freedom to make that choice if you want to stay home if you want to be a housewife if that brings you value if you enjoy from as you said providing for your family and making sure that your family Mm -hmm. is taken care of and their well-being is taken care of and all sort of stuff if that brings you value that is not something that makes you less of a, a modern woman because you fulfill a more traditional role right it you are allowed to, there's nobody that there shouldn't be any woman that downplays another woman because she chooses to fulfill a more traditional role. Well, and isn't that one of the biggest underlying problems, right? Like instead of attacking each other for fulfilling a role that doesn't fall in line with us, that we don't align with, you know, we attack them and we attack that ideal and their way of doing things instead of just being like, good for you. Like you find what works for you and your family. That's amazing. Like keep mm-hmm. doing it, you know, and then you guys go about it a different way. Yeah. True feminism is the choice to, if I want to be a stay at home mom, I stay at home. If I want to run a business, you know, like that's the thing I'm working on running a business while being a stay at home mom too. But if, you know, I want to go out in the workforce and my husband wants to stay at home and be a stay at home dad, that's a choice too. Right. Um, so yeah, it really really doesn't matter as long as you guys are figuring out what's working for you, right? Exactly, exactly. And of course, questioning why you feel a certain way, that if that comes up, right. you say, I'm really offended by that, or I'm really, you know, yeah. I, I need my partner to do this. Sit with that and ask yourself, why? Why does that upset me so much? Why does that trigger me so much? Why do I feel the way that I feel? Instead of just saying, that's how I feel. Why? Do you feel that way? What is the reason? And is your, is your reasoning sound? Is the reason, the only reason that you're Mm -hmm. feeling that way, because you've been told to feel that way, or do you actually feel that way? Well, that's whose story is it? Is it your story or is it someone else's story that you're just holding on to right now? Right. Um, That's, and as far as like, for us in our relationship, being a stay at home mom, doesn't mean that he's the head of the household you know, he definitely goes out and provides for this family. And when he's away, like if he, you know, has to work out of town or go away for work for a couple of weeks or whatever, then I'm in charge of everything at home, right? Like everything, every decision that's made, obviously we consult on things together, but ultimately comes down to what works for best, what works best for us at home right now. It's very much that, um, the true Viking kind of lifestyle, right? Where, you know, the men and women sometimes have to go out and pillage and plunder and bring home stuff for their family. And when they're gone though, the ones that are left there, the women and children and the um, elderly men and stuff like that, they have to protect the household and have to be equally as strong, Mm -hmm. right? So it's really working on that basis of equality where you both can fulfill both roles, but it's kind of fluid in which role you're going to be fulfilling at a certain time. Exactly. It's funny you say that because I joke with my husband all the time when he goes out and he goes to work or he goes to buy groceries because he's the grocery person, right? Like, right. It's right. Especially right now with the pandemic, there's no need to bring a small child to the grocery store. No. So he goes out and he does the grocery shop and brings it home. And then I'm responsible for whatever he brings home. I decide what (laughs) we're going to cook and how it's going to be done. And I joke with him all the time about, Ooh, husband, you hunter gathered. (laughs) 
<laughs> what did you bring back while you hunter gathered? <laughs> it's true though. And it's funny. It's, I love that you make, yeah, that's so much fun. Cause I mean, really it's, I, I used to grocery shop back Absolutely. before I used to grocery shop. And now again, the pandemic has put me in a role of being a, a stay-at-home mom, which mm-hmm. if we're being honest, didn't change that much. Cause my son only just started school. <laughs> and then the pandemic hit. So we went from, I was mostly a stay-at-home mom to, I just became a full-time stay-at-home mom. Right. Um, but I, I had to learn where my value was in that of not being all of the things, mm-hmm. but accepting that there was joy in providing for my family and making sure that everybody had clean clothes, that our home was clean and tidy and that we could relax in it without like feeling stressed out that I, why do I always have to be the one? Why is it always me? Why am Mm -hmm. I, you know, because that was my mindset was why do I have to be the one to do it? And then it became, this is my job to care for my family, to Mm -hmm. homeschool my son and provide him with an education to right. cook the meals so that my family, because it's not that my husband doesn't cook good meals because he's an actually a, an excellent cook. He's an excellent cook, but his, his tend to be a very small subset of mm. meals. Whereas I'm more like, okay, let's pull out a recipe. Let's try something yes. new. Let's, let's do something that I've never done before. Oh, we have a, 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 a pork roast. Well, we could just roast the pork roast <laughs> or I could dice it up and make, um, uh, fried pork, stir, like stir fried, fried pork. And right. like, actually like get out my, my fryer and like <laughs> deep fry it and make like Chinese food and sweet and sour sauce. And like, you know, go big. And I tend to, when I cook, I go big because mm-hmm. I just kind of want to do something, something different, something unusual. It's a nice creative outlet. You don't always have to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, he he's now taken over more of the cooking. Cause as, mm-hmm. like I said, as we heal, we start to realize that there's no subset of what one person has to do that everybody is involved. Absolutely. So now I do see him taking a much larger role with our son and doing things with him. Now he did used to joke before that he doesn't like small babies because there's, (laughs) there's not a whole lot you could do with them and they mostly want mom. And like, he's, he's not the nurturing type as he Mm. said, but he is. And he always has been. He just didn't identify with that because it wasn't masculine to be identified as a nurturer. He is a nurturer and always Mm -hmm. has been, just had to come to peace with that in his own way that he is able to do that. And he he knew, like he, in the beginning, there was the mindset of babysitting when I went to work and like that, oh, the the four hours he had to watch our child while I was at work was just overwhelming. And I just used to look at him like, do you understand that this is mostly my day? Right. (laughs) Like from the, and that includes nighttime when they don't Mm -hmm. sleep because he works midnights. So he wasn't home at night for all that. So it was all absolutely on me. And it would really, really make me angry when he would make comments like, well, it was so hard. You were, you were late half an hour and I had to do it. And I'm like, that resentment, you know, to, yeah, and there, build. there, it was there because we both had a lot of trauma mm-hmm. from our, you know, maybe previous relationships, maybe media, maybe childhoods. Or I, I'm not even sure where all of it came from, but trauma that neither of us had really unpacked, looked at, asked, why the heck is it there? <laughs> and do I really need it? can I let this go? Yeah. Right. You know, and as I've learned to let my stuff go 
through the different courses I've taken through just sitting with something and like when Rochelle gets going, cause sometimes, sometimes, especially as we approach dinner time, mm-hmm. hangry is a problem in my home. Yes. It's a I'm, legitimate thing. It is a legitimate thing. And it's been, I used to get very, my husband would get very mad when I would comment like, Ooh, you're hangry. Have you eaten? And he'd get mad. You're just dismissing me, which a little bit, a little bit where I wasn't validating his feelings and I was mm-hmm. dismissing him. But at the same time, okay, is this really something you're mad about? Or are you just hungry? Right. Do you maybe need something to eat? And you're reacting a little disproportionately because you're hungry. Yeah. And we see it in our children too. I'm sure you see it in your kid. I definitely see it in mine. Oh yes. Yeah. It's yeah. Let's run down the list of basic needs and necessities. Have they been met? And, but you're right. It is important to say, I understand you're feeling this way. Like I can see that you're really frustrated about this. And that does make a world of difference because then you can immediately from that. Okay. We've acknowledged their feelings now. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Do you maybe need a little rest or something like that? But yeah, just that one little change can set a whole different dynamic for sure. It is definitely something I've learned as we learn to parent our children better. It applies to the adults in your relationship as well. That acknowledgement of feelings. Well, because a lot of the trauma can happen as a little child, right? And trauma doesn't mean it has to be something extremely detrimental, but that normal that you're used to, um, yeah, it doesn't apply in the same way when you become an adult. So it really is trying to heal that inner child or those years before and Mm -hmm. then finding a new way of being. Especially if you had parents that did not validate your feelings, which was very common of those of us who were raised by boomers, because boomers generally did not acknowledge their children's feelings in any way, shape or form, or even their own, or even their own. Correct. So I know a lot of the stuff is I, I am somewhat dismissive and I don't mean to be, but Mm. I have caught myself being dismissive and I've definitely, I'm learning with my boundaries to say to my partner that I was being dismissed. My feeling, my feelings were invalidated and more, I found it doesn't work as well to voice my feelings to say my feelings were invalidated because often there was a trigger on the other side. So I'm not being heard. Mm -hmm. So like in crucial conversations, you got to put your stuff on the shelf and deal with your partners or your children's because it's essentially the same, Mm -hmm. same thing. Deal with their feelings and shelve yours for a minute and then say, okay, I can see that you're feeling a certain way, or I have a feeling that you're feeling this way. I have, Mm -hmm. there's a sense that you're feeling this way. What can I do? How can I help? What do you need? And then as you can settle them down, now you can bring out your feelings again. Yes, absolutely. Bring them out. Because once you shelf something, you can always pull it back down, right? There's nothing to say that it has to stay there forever, but there's a time and a place for dealing with everything. Right. I follow these awesome guys on uh, YouTube that I absolutely love. It's a a channel called Cinema Therapy. And one of them is a director and the other guy is a clinical psychologist. Wow. So they'll go with like movies, right? Videos and things like that. And they'll give their opinion from a directorial point of view, as well as from a a therapeutic point of view. And Mm -hmm. one of the ones they covered was Frozen 2. And they talked about um, Kristoff 
and how he was mm-hmm. able when Anna, because he wanted to propose. I'm yes. sure have you, you've seen Frozen I have too, seen right? it many times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're big Disney in our house, yes. big Disney <laughs> Pixar in our house. Um, so he ha- he wants to propose to Anna, but all these things keep happening. And yes. then Anna's really worried about Elsa and he wants to propose over and over. But and instead of dealing with what he's, he's able to shelve his stuff mm-hmm. to say to, to Anna, okay, what do you need? How can I help you? What do you need? And like they mentioned that as an example of not toxic masculinity, but a healthy relationship and a healthy relationship dynamic where he's got his own issue. He's got his Mm -hmm. own thing, but instead of forcing his issue, he can say, you know what? I can put mine down for a minute, put it on the shelf for a minute, help you with your thing because your thing is more pressing than my thing. So I will help you with your thing. And then I can take that down afterwards and like, bring that up and my issues with wanting to propose and all this sort of stuff. But I, I found that really insightful mm-hmm. that, you know, that, and it's true in relationships. Sometimes you got to shelve your shit, but <laughs> you know, put it down. It'd be on a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, seriously. I'm going to merchandise that shelve your shit. <laughs> <clears throat> but it is that like, sometimes you got to put aside whatever it is that's really bothering you mm-hmm. to help your partner or your child deal with whatever the heck they're dealing with. And then you can pull your stuff down and break, which may not even be necessary. After right. you help them with their stuff, you may not even have anything left on the shelf when you go back and check it. Cause it might've been resolved by helping them with their stuff. Oh, definitely. There's, there's definitely a, there's a learning curve. <laughs> There, yes, it seems to be, and I always say this to my husband that once you have something figured out with a child, it will pretty much immediately change. So I think a lot of that happens in relationships too, but you get to acquire the tools though. So your toolbox keeps getting bigger and bigger and you can always pull out a tool and apply it to a similar problem or conflict right. resolution, right? Right. And it's all about conflict resolution and all about <laughs> learning to listen to others. That was I a know. big problem for me, <laughs> learning to yeah. get outside of my own thinking and hear other people. Because I think you just get so caught up in, I have to say this, I want to say this, this is the point I'm trying to get across. And instead of you're right, actually taking a moment to just listen to where the conversation is going. Maybe your partner is saying the same thing, just in a different way. And you don't need to get it across that way, Mm -hmm. but I know, and it sounds cheesy, but I honestly believe communication and honesty, you know, for any relationship will make it work as a strong foundation, right? Yes, you have to have difficult conversations. Yes, there are difficult truths to unfold and work through. But I think when you both make the effort, those hard conversations are a little bit easier knowing that you guys can both do it together. I agree. I agree very much. It's all about that cooperation. (laughs) So I enjoyed our talk very much today, Emily. Me as well. I think there were a lot of lovely points brought up and I hope that this is helpful to other people in their relationships because I certainly know it's helpful for me. Me as well. It's nice knowing that you're not the only person that deals with some things like this. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for joining us. Did you want to share anything about the, the clinic that you work at in case anyone would like to come see you? 
Um, right now it's actually a home-based clinic. So unfortunately, because of the pandemic and that I'm not taking any in-person clients. Um, but if you keep an eye out on my Instagram at sacred space holistic, I will be posting updates on how you can get your hands on, um, vaginal steam therapy, postpartum kits, things like that in the future, um, from an online or mailer subscription, um, option. So I will definitely have you back open. to share about that. Cause I would love to look, know a little bit more about that. I, I would <laughs> love to that? share. I would love to have you back and we'll, we'll talk about what that is and why you'd want to do it. Right. <laughs> I know of- it sounds a little scary and weird, but there are some great health benefits. So yeah, I would love to come back and share. Do you have a, a site that people can maybe read a little bit more about that? Um, again, just pop on over to my Instagram. If you have it, if not, it is um, the same thing on Facebook, Sacred Space Holistic, and there are website links from there. Um, I can actually send you a link and maybe you can attach it to the show notes. If oh, definitely. You want. Yeah. I and that, that would probably be easier than me spelling it out. <laughs> yes, that would be great. And that way, any of our <laughs> listeners that are interested in knowing a little bit more about vaginal steam therapy, because that's such an unusual thing, can really read a little is. bit more. Yeah. <laughs> I know I'd like to read a little bit more because that's very unusual. <laughs> It is unusual, but, um, to me, well, being a doula for six years, I've seen a lot of things in that medical field, um, and the non-medical side of things. And I think it's just good to have a more natural option to at least try and work with some women's issues with. That's awesome. For another time. For another time. Definitely. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Emily, for coming to our, our interview today. Thank you so much for having me. I hope to have you on the show again. Sounds lovely. Okay. Bye, Emily. Bye, Tova. And so for those who are still here, now that we finished up with Emily, I'm going to pull a couple of cards. Um, From last week, I shared a card from the I Am Everything deck um, from the uh, I Am Media. That's the deck. So I'm going to shuffle it and pull another card because I found this is very useful and I found they were um, good insight and good, uh, good affirmations to have. So I'm just going to shuffle this, see what comes out. Okay, so today's card is I am love. I am love. So it says, I may not have always made the right choices, but I did my best. I have so much love to give and everyone around me can feel it. I am given a clean slate every single day to be the best version of me that I can be. I am forgiven. I am love. I'll be sharing that on my Instagram and Facebook as well. Um, And then with that, I also want to pull a card from same company. Um, They're called Dear Self Prompt Cards. Okay. Um, They're good ways to journal and things that you can say dear self. And just to remind yourself a little bit more, just to kind of connect with yourself on a a deeper level through your journal. So we'll pull one of those cards today as well. And just give you a little something that you can journal to connect with yourself a little better. Oh, that one jumped right out. I think that's going to be our card today. Oh, this is a good one. Okay. So this card says feeling frustration, exhaustion, sadness or lack are signs that I am not clearly seeing my own path. 
What's meant for me feels freeing. What's meant for me feels comfortable. What's meant for me feels inspired. What's meant for me feels fun. What's meant for me flows. What's meant for me feels natural. What's meant for me feels easier. Now this is the part you can fill in. Blank feels easier than blank. And blank feels more natural to me than blank. I feel more comfortable blank than blank. So let's show the card here. There we go. So that is from the Dear Self prompt cards. So maybe you can take that and write yourself a journal entry. Um, as we talked about in our uh, cognitive behavioral talk, journaling is an excellent way to connect with yourself on a deeper level, to connect with your inner self, to deepen your idea of who you are, to talk to your inner world and start to understand a little bit more about what you want, what you need, and what you need to do to get yourself into alignment with your true self. So I hope that our talk today, oh, and I have one more thing. I have this lovely book called Zen Wisdom, The Way to the Top that I happen to find on my bookshelf. I have a lot of books that don't get read as often. Um, but what I've been doing is just opening to a random page. And surprisingly enough, the random page I opened to today says yourself and others, which is a perfect fitting for our discussion today. And it says, Yuan Tang Ji once said, if a person cannot be upright, and yet requests others to be so, that is called a lapse of virtue. If he isn't respectful, but asks others to be, that is called a violation of decency. If a person who serves as a teacher lapses from virtue and goes against decency, what can be used to extend the future guidelines? So what I take from that is that we can't ask others to be what we aren't. We can't ask our partner to be something that we are not willing to do as well. We need to work on healing ourselves and healing our expectations rather than expecting our partner to do that for us. No one can heal you but you. So you're going to have to learn to let go of your traumas, recognize when you are in your victim villain mentality, learn to step back and listen. You can't expect others to do it if you're unwilling to do it. So I hope that you guys have heard some good stuff today and that you can apply these things to your relationships and grow as people and that your relationships can become healthier and more whole. So until next week, love and light, fellow human. Make sure to check out the YouTube page. Make sure to check out Instagram and Facebook and make sure to subscribe to the podcast and all major podcast platforms so you don't miss any of our content. So I hope this self-improvement Sunday was good for you and I hope to see you soon. Don't forget, you can subscribe, you can donate to the show at Get In We're Going Healing slash, I'm sorry, at um, buymeacoffee.com slash Get In Healing. And you can uh, donate towards the show to help out with some of the costs, the production costs. Um, if you can, it's not a requirement. It's always appreciated, but you don't have to. Uh, and as always, take what resonates, leave behind what doesn't. Love and light, fellow human. Until next time, I love you.